All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. There's much to study and little time to do it. And making practical application in the time that we have is, is uh, going to be a challenge. So before we begin, let's just have a word of prayer and ask God for wisdom beyond our years. Uh, for we are not wise enough to understand the deep things of God. So let's pray together. If you can kneel. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be called your children, to be able to come into your presence, Lord, and to be able to hear your voice instruct our hearts and our minds towards those things which are pure and holy and undefiled. Father, your word declares with two or three are gathered, you would be in the midst of us. And Lord, we really don't know how to honor your presence as we should. But in these few moments, Father, give us wisdom beyond our years. Teach us, Lord, how to hear your voice and press still nearer to you. We love you, Father. But again, we beg of you to teach us to love you more than anything else in this world. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his blood. Amen. All right, we're going to begin our subject. We're dealing with as it was in the days of Lot. As it was in the days of Lot. And before we delve deeply into it, hopefully you've memorized the song that we sang this morning. Amen. We're going to sing it again. And it's in Ecclesiastes 1 in verse 9. Ecclesiastes 1 in verse 9. That's fine. Ecclesiastes 1 in verse 9. It goes, the thing that have been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. The thing that have been, it is that which shall be. You guys, I hear some of you singing. All right, let's do it one more time. The thing that have been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. The thing that have been, it is that which shall be. I'm going to test you now. All right, we had a quiz. Uh, earlier this morning, you did pretty good in regards to that which is, which shall be, so forth and so on. That which is, tell me, is that past, present, or future? Present, very good. That which shall be done, is that past, present, or future? All right. The thing that hath been, is that past, present, or future? So what we're doing then, when we're looking at history, and we're looking at the, the people of God in the earlier times, we're really looking at what God is going to do in this time. When we're looking at the history of the people of Israel, or we're looking at Noah, or we're looking at Lot, or we're looking at Abraham, anytime you're looking at any of these biblical characters, you're really looking at how God is going to deal with us in these final hours. Does that make sense, everybody? If you can get this principle, your Bible study life will go to a whole other level. The way you look at scripture will just unlock and story after story will build upon another that it will just become so crystal clear in your mind. It's just a wonderful experience. I, I love studying the Bible. Uh, if you ever get to hang around me long enough, you'll know that the Bible is my most favorite book in all the world. Yeah. You ask my daughter. Ask my daughter. Go to hers. Test her out. <laughs> Niaja, what is the greatest book in all the world? And see what she tells you what the greatest book in all the world is. She'll tell you what the greatest book in all the world is. But as we're studying tonight, we're talking about as it was in the days of Lot. As it was in the days of Lot. And let's pick up our story in Luke chapter 17. And again, we were in Luke this morning. We're in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And again, we're going to note here a very important person who is speaking. Luke chapter 17. And beginning at verse number 29. Luke 17 and verse 29, and I actually put it on the screen for us so we can read it together. Luke 17 and verse 29, or 20, let's start in 28. It says, likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, 
They drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they what? I found something interesting. Remember this morning we read about Noah. It says, as it was in the days of Noah, they married and gave in marriage. But in this part, when it's talking about Lot, it does not mention marriage. Are you, are you paying attention? Whenever you're studying the Bible and you pay attention to the nuances, this one does not mention marriage. What it does mention is that they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built it. Now, this is important. This is significant because we're talking about as it was in the days of a lot this morning or this afternoon. And it says, but verse, verse 29, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Now, keep this in mind as we're going to now go back in history and examine the days of Lot. That's what we need to do right now. Let's examine the days of Lot. Genesis, the 13th chapter now. Genesis, the 13th chapter. And we're going to see here in Genesis 13 some events that led to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis, the 13th chapter. And we're going to begin at verse number six. Are you ready? Actually, it started verse five. The Bible says, and Lot also went out with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell how? So there's a situation that's developed here that they are so rich that they have so much goods, they have so much temporal goods that they can't dwell together. That's problematic. Are you paying attention to me right now? They have so much goods, they have so much wealth that they cannot dwell together in unity. And what begins to happen? Notice what happens. Verse 17 says, and there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. And Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we are what? We are what? Now keep this in mind. Let me ask you a question. Who's the older, Abraham or Lot? So who should have gone to who to say, hey, you know, we're having problems. Who should have gone to who should have been the one that dealt with this issue first? Who should have dealt with it? Lot should have dealt with it first. Lot should have went to Abraham. Hey, Abraham, see, you gave me everything I have. You taught me everything you know. I am so sorry about my herdsmen. I'm so sorry that they're disrespecting you. But no, Lot does not pay attention to this situation of respecting his elders. And Abraham, in his meek, humble way, goes to Lot and says, look, man, we're brethren. Isn't that humble? That's humble. The older saying to the younger, we're brethren. It's not like, hey, I'm your uncle, son. You know, here's the deal. You need to pack your stuff and move out. I mean, that's how it should have gone down. But Abram, being a humble man, a man after God's own heart, has a mind that is after God's mind. And he goes to his nephew and says, hey, brother, we got a lot of goods here. Now, notice what the Bible says in verse number nine. It says, is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes. Pay attention. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as what? Pay attention. Garden of what? Tell me something. What is the garden of the Lord? That's the garden of Eden. I never paid attention. When I read that, I didn't pay attention to that before. Lot looks up. He looks around, and he sees the, the valley in the Jordan. He says, ooh, that's beautiful. And then we see some, a problem with that this early, early this morning. Huh? The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were what? Beautiful. They were fair. They are looking with their natural eye. Let me tell you something. I'm going to be very plain and clear with you right now. If you're going to be a Christian, you cannot live by what you see. If you're going to be a Christian, you cannot live by what you see, taste, touch, feel. That is human, scientific, limited reasoning abilities. The Bible says we live by faith and not by what? So what we need to do then is stop looking at what we see with our natural eye. 
Stop looking around and seeing what everybody else is doing. Oh, that looks like a wonderful husband relationship. No, quit looking because you don't know what's going on there. Is that right? You're wishing, oh, I wish I had a ministry like so-and-so. You have no idea what's going on in that ministry. It's when we look with our natural eye. And the Bible says, remember Adam and Eve in the garden? And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. You see the issue? The natural eye will get you in trouble. As it was in the days of Lot, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. We must be careful about judging things by what we see. Now keep this in mind, because we're, we're studying. We're just going point by point as we go through the verse. Now look at again, verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed where? That's so serious. We don't have time to deal with this issue of the east in the Bible. But Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. Now listen carefully to the verse. Watch this. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled where? Do you see that in the Bible? Tell me something. Where's, where's Lot staying? In the cities of the plain. Where does Abram dwell? In the Canaan, in the land of Canaan. There's a difference in where the righteous stay and the unrighteous. Listen to me, because what I'm saying to you is so significant. We're talking about protecting the home. Is that right? We're, we're talking about building a home, preparing for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in this story of, uh, of Lot and Abraham, Jesus says, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Lot being the type of someone we don't want to be like in this story. Do you understand that idea? We don't want to be like this. So Lot, judging by what he sees, goes and lives in the city. And Abram, being the man of God, says, you know, I'm going to dwell in some tents out here in the woods. Are you paying attention? Now, was, was, was Abraham poor? No, he was not poor. He was wealthy. It, we, if I were to use the vernacular, he was filthy rich. Huh? So it wasn't that he was poor and lived in some shack somewhere. He was wealthy. And he had money and he lived in the countryside. Now you're going to see why this is important. For as he lives in the countryside, he is able to help those that live in the... Are you paying attention? Well, I'm just doing this from the Bible. Wait till I read the Spirit of Prophecy. Watch. Watch what it says. The Bible goes on to say, verse number 13. Now before we even get there, look at verse 12 again. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent where? Please lock this in your mind. Lot does not pitch his tent in Sodom. What does the verse say he does? So he faces his tent towards Sodom. He knew he wasn't supposed to live there. But by, by beholding, we become what? So he now has positioned himself to constantly behold what the city has to offer. And by the end of this story, you're going to see Lot not pitching his tent towards Sodom. The Bible says Lot was sitting in the gate. Are you paying attention to the story? He puts his tent towards Sodom, and notice how the Bible describes Sodom before its destruction. Look at, look, at the verse, look at the verse right there in verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked, sinners before the Lord. How? Well, I wonder what exceedingly wicked is. Now, you're going to pay attention to this, because I'm going to ask you if we're living in a time like that. Don't answer me right now. I'm going to ask you, are we living in a time where it is exceedingly wicked in any of our large cities? Don't answer. You're answering already. I said don't answer, huh? <laughs> We're living in a time like that. Notice what the Bible says now. Looking at verse 14. So Lot has now chosen to face his tent towards Sodom. Uh, uh, Abraham's living in the plain. Now watch what happens in verse 14. And I love God. I love God. It says, And the Lord said unto Abram, After that Lot was separate, separated from him, lift up now thine eyes. And look from the place where thou art northward and what? Southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. How long? 
So even though he allows Lot to take the east side, God says, look, Abraham, I know you gave that to your boy, but north side, east side, west side, I don't care what side it is, it's yours, Abraham. Now watch me. God is able to promise Abram this for, on one condition. Now, your home must be built on this one condition. How many conditions? One. Now, when you leave this room, you must understand this one condition. If you understand this one condition, your home can be saved. If you follow this one condition, if you follow this one principle, your home will be a light when this world is going into deep darkness. Are you following me? How many conditions? One. One condition. Are you ready for the condition? Should I tell you? What if I just cancel the meeting and say, go home, go home? That would be unacceptable, right? So let's look at the one condition. Now, Abraham's in the, in the city, but we won't go to the one condition yet. We're going to go one more thing before we go to the condition. Now, the Bible says that in verse chapter 14, jump to chapter 14 now, God has promised again, the covenant, he made a covenant with Abram. Now, look at chapter 14, verse 12. And there's a battle going on, and the Bible says, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt where? And Sodom and his goods and departed, and they came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite brother of Eschol, brother of the Anner, and these were confederate with Abram. When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his outpost center. Well, it didn't say that, did it? What did it say? He armed his trained servants. Wait a second, where does he live? He lives in a plain. He lives in the country. And he has 318, or what is it, 300 and, yeah, 318 trained missionaries. Y'all not hearing this thing. Someone that lived in the city was taken captive, and Abram has 318 trained soldiers in his camp. What kind of man was Abram? Okay, can you imagine that? 318 people living in his camp, richest man in the plain. I tell you what, if you follow God, he's going to bless you. Are you following the idea? Now, these 318 men pursued after them unto Dan. Verse 15, and he divided himself against them, he and his servants by the night, and smote them and pursued them in Haba, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him. Now, this is so powerful. And after his return from the slaughter of Kedorlaomer of the kings, there were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the king's dale. Now watch this. Jump down to verse number 22. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, have I lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from thee a thread, even a shoe latchet, that I will not take anything that is, in th that is thine, lest thou shouldest say what? I have made Abram rich. Wait a second. Let me ask you a question. You go and do some missionary work and some guy say to you, look, we done captured a lot of people. Here's $1.5 million. You taking it? Yes, you would. <laughs> yes, you would. You take that money in a heartbeat. But Abram knows where he gets his blessings from. And he would not give the wicked any opportunity to claim what God himself deserves worship for. He said, I won't even take 1.5 million. I won't even take 2 million. You keep your money. Keep your money. Now, keep this in mind. Abram, because of his faithfulness, is brought into direct connection with the king of Sodom. Do you see it? Do you see the story developing? He's brought in direct connection with the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom has no excuse for not accepting the living God. None. Sodom and Gomorrah taken captive. Who rescued him? Abram, the man that dwelt in tents, the weird guy. He's the one, and this king has no excuse. So now watch. Watch the story. Now I'm going to jump a little further in the story. Jump to chapter 18, please. Now, here's where the secret is. Here's where the secret is. Chapter 18. Now, watch this. If you pay attention to the story, watch this. And this is beautiful, friends. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 16, the, man, the Bible says, and God himself has come to visit. And in fact, start at verse 1. It says, and the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, 
and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Pen of inspiration brings out that Abram would often sit there with the intent, with the purpose of looking and seeing if there was anybody he could minister to as they walked by. That was his purpose for sitting there. He wasn't just sitting there to enjoy the view. But he's sitting there with the intent and purpose. I wonder if anyone's walking by. I wish I could minister to someone today. That's what's his intent. Now watch. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men. How many men? Stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. Mind you, this says that the Lord, we know that he doesn't know that this is the Lord yet. So he does this to a total, complete stranger. Now, listen, there's something missing in our church on a large degree. Maybe you guys don't have that problem out here. Maybe it's just where I come. East Coast, we cold out there. I remember going to an Adventist church, nice big church on a campus that is now shut down. I remember going to that church, big church, campus church. Walk right into the church, no one said hi. Sat down for the whole service, no one said hello. Walked out of the church, no one said bye. Not one person. But hey, I did that at another church. I went in, did the same thing to me until the pastor knew who I was. So he said, Andre, you preach? So I preached. And anybody want to invite you to the house? Huh? Respecters of persons. Walk in, do ministry. Nobody cares. Stand up in the pulpit. Everybody want to worship a preacher. What's wrong with you guys? Preachers are the most crazy people in the world. Y'all think I'm playing. <laughs> but Abram, with his, with his hospitality, now is ministering to angels, and he doesn't even know it. Now, I'm going to share something with you. There is something that only you will get when you are hospitable to someone that you will not get any other way. You can spend 5,000 hours in Bible study. And you won't get what you need to get when you're supposed to be hospitable. I'm gonna, I wonder if I put it up here. Maybe I didn't put it up here. Let me see if I put it up here. Maybe I put it up here. I hope I did. Maybe I didn't. Nope. No, we're back up. We didn't put it up there. I'm sorry about that. It's on your paper. You have your paper? Yeah. Jump down to number 10. Look at number 10. See number 10? Number 10 says, the privilege granted Abraham and Lot is not denied to us by showing hospitality to God's children we too may receive his angels where don't you want that I tell you the truth when I read stuff like that I believe it so I look for somebody to be nice to it might be Gabriel huh Angels will now come into my home when I'm hospitable to someone else. Watch this. Even in our day, angels in human form enter homes of men and are entertained by them. That's powerful. Would your home be a place where angels could be entertained? And trust me, they're not entertained by blockbuster video. They're not entertained by Netflix. No, they're not entertained by that. Don't pull out a monopoly or any. They are not entertained by these things. I tell you what, if you have family worship, those angels love to be there. You say the name of Jesus in a sweet, humble, consecrated way. The the period of prophecy says when you say the name of Jesus in a consecrated, reverent way, angels draw near. I taught some call porters that same principle. I told them, when you go to a door, I want you to intentionally say the name of Jesus at every door. Don't be ashamed of the name. And they went to the door. I'll tell you the truth. This is no lie. They went to the door. The lady came out angry. Oh, you guys get out of my porch. They said, ma'am, Jesus loves you. Immediately her face changed. She started rubbing her hand through the girl's hair. You guys must be angels. True story. True story. Change completely. The name of Jesus has a powerful effect on a hardened heart. Are you listening to me? It says, even in our day, angels in human form enter the homes of men and are entertained by them. And Christians who live in the light of God's presence 
or countenance, now listen to this, are always accompanied by unseen angels. Always? What does always mean? Now listen to me. Because we as a, as a people forget this concept that we actually have angels. So tell me, how can you sit and watch pornography with your holy angel next to you? Could you do it? There's some things, you know, when I was a young, younger lad, I'm still a young lad. <laughs> when I was a younger lad, my dad told me before I went to school, he said, Andre, when you go to school, I don't want you to do any snacking. No snacks. I said, okay, dad. So they, he wasn't there that particular day. He was coming late, and I was feeling pretty hungry. They pulled out the, the icy pops right at the end of the day. I mean, right at the end of the day, I was going to make it. But it, my dad came five minutes late. Five minutes late was five minutes of icy pops. So I eat my icy pop, and I'm eating my icy pop. My dad walks through the door. Now, you don't know my dad. My dad's, he's a little taller than me. He looks handsome fellow. Gray hair, you know, now, just handsome brother. <laughs> he walks to the door. He sees me, doesn't say a word. Not one word. I don't say a word either. I put the icy pop in the trash right away. <laughs> we get home. Now listen to me. We get home, and I'm about to get a trouble. I'm about to get a whooping. And my dad, you know, Put your hands up here against the dresser. Put your pants down. And he's about to spank me. I'll never forget this. As he's about to spank me, he begins to cry. I said, wait a second. Now, I've gotten spanked before. <laughs> I'm supposed to be crying. <laughs> he's crying. And he doesn't spank me. You know, from that day forward, I never took another, took another icy pop, N not another cookie. I didn't take a Twizzler or a Twinkie or anything because I remember his tears in his eyes. Now, I didn't understand the weight of what was going on. I didn't understand it, but I treated it as if every time I was about to do it, I treated it as if he were there. Are you listening to me? I saw the pain in his eyes as if he were there, so I chose to refrain. You see, many of us don't believe Jesus sees. Where is this Jesus? You said Jesus is coming a long time ago. He don't care. Let me do what I do. I got to get, I got to, I feel good right now. I'm going to do what I got to do. And you bring our Lord to open shame. I see, Sister White says, that, that Lucifer goes to God and says, is this who you're saving? Angels are our companions. Think about it. Angels are your companion. And Abraham has no idea who's walking by, but these are angels. Yea, one is the son of God. Imagine, I mean, I'm really trying to, you know, you try to wrap your mind around these stories, you know. One is the son of God. Visiting with Abram. Now watch. Jump down now to verse 16. He's reconfirmed his covenant to Abram. We'll pass that in verse 16. Now watch carefully. I told you there's one principle, one principle that will save your family. Watch this. Verse 16 says, And the men rose up from thence and looked toward what? Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. So he's still being hospitable. So he's walking them out the door, you know. I'm going to walk them down the street a little bit, make sure they get on their way pretty good. Now watch carefully. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Wait a second. So here's the question. Can he hide from Abraham? Have you ever had a friend that you wanted to share something with? It's just overflowing. You can't hold it in. Have you ever had that? This is, this is what's happening in the verse. God has something to share, and he's been looking a long time to have a friend to share it with, and he only has this one human being on the planet because there's no one else on the planet who knows what's about to happen. So God has one friend. One friend. Can I, hide? I can't hide it from him. It's almost like this. I, I imagine it like this. God's walking away a little bit. He gets a few paces. He says, can I hide it? 
I got to tell him. He's, this is my boy. He's the one I have a really, I got to tell him what's happening. Now go to Psalms, the 25th chapter. Look at verse 14. Psalms 25, verse 14. Don't lose your place right here in Genesis 18. Watch. Watch carefully. Psalms 25, verse 14. Psalms 25 and verse 14. Remember, we're talking about as it was in the days of Lot. You have it, my brother. Why don't you read it for me? The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Wait. Hold on. Who's the secret with? Those that what? The secret of the Lord with those that fear him. Tell me something. Is there a message that has that word fear in it somewhere? Revelation 14, verse what? Verse 7, it says, fear God and give what? For the hour of his what? So there's a group of people in the last days who God is going to share his secret with. But wait, there's more. Go ahead and read. And he will do what? And show them his covenant. Now go back to Genesis, the 18th chapter. Genesis, the 18th chapter. Watch carefully. Genesis, the 18th chapter. Notice here again what the Bible says, looking again at verse 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely be a great and what? Mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed. How? Wait a second. Now, again, when I first read this passage, I didn't understand it. I tell you, what, I read it, and I didn't understand it. I mean, I know what it says, but do you know what it says? There's a difference between knowing what it says and knowing what it says. The passage says, verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely be a great and mighty nation. Here's my question. What makes a nation great and mighty? Hear the Lord. Someone said, God. You know, there's actually a biblical answer. And all those answers are good answers. But there's a biblical answer for what makes nations great. In fact, let's start. Isaiah 14, verse 12. Isaiah 14, verse 12. Again, I'm giving you the secret of what's going to make your family stand through the final crisis. Isaiah 14 and verse 12. And again, I'm going to take a reader. You, are you there, brother? Isaiah 14, 12. Go ahead and read it for us. Wait, all right, here we go. Verse 12, it says, you who are cut down, who did what? Weaken the nation. So Lucifer somehow weakens nations. Mind you, again, Adventist on 15, paragraph 1. Brother Lemon showed it to you last night. What is it that makes up a, a, a nation? The home. It starts right there in the home. Is that right? First it's the home, then the community, then the church, then the nation, then the world. But he weakens the nations. Now watch. Go to Proverbs 14, 34. Proverbs 14 and verse 34. Proverbs 14 and verse 34. All right, sister, why don't you read this for us? Proverbs 14, 34. All right, based on this verse, what exalts a nation? So if Lucifer weakens the nation, what does he attack? Righteousness. Are you, are you paying attention? If he weakens the nation, that means he's attacking righteousness because righteousness exalts a nation. Proverbs 16, verse 12. Proverbs 16 and verse 12. I'm giving you the secret for what will make your home and your family stand through the great crisis. Proverbs 16, verse 12. Why don't you read this for me, my brother? It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness. From the throne is established by righteousness. What is the throne established by? The throne is established by righteousness. A kingdom is established by righteousness. So I need someone with a New King James Version. Anyone have a New King James in here? Yes, all right. I want you to read for me Psalms 97 and verse 2. King James is good, too. No worries. King James is my favorite, but we're going to do New King James here. Psalms 97, verse 2. What does it say? Oh, 
Tell me something. What is the foundation of God's throne? Righteousness and mm, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. The foundation of God's throne, the foundation of God's kingdom, the foundation of God's family is righteousness. Everybody follow the idea? All right. Let's go a little further. Psalms 119, 172. Psalms 119, 172. Psalms 119, 172. You have it, my sister? Yeah. Why don't you read it for us? My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. All the commandments are what? So when the Bible says that Lucifer weakened the nations, that means Lucifer attacked righteousness, which in another word is saying Lucifer attacked the commandments, the very foundation of God's what? Of his throne. So now go back. Read again what the verse says in Genesis 18. Now you tell me how this verse makes sense. Now after I understood that, I read this verse again. Verse 18 says, Seeing that Abraham shall surely be a great and what? Well, what makes a nation great and mighty? Come on now. You're brilliant. Righteousness. Judgment are the foundation of the throne. So if Abraham's family is going to be a great and mighty nation, they must follow after righteousness. Are you following so far? As it was in the days of Lot, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now, let me ask you this. Now, I've actually given you the secret to understanding prophecy. Did you know that? It's real simple. In the book, Education, there's a chapter called History and Prophecy. Read through that chapter. I've just given you the science for understanding why Babylon fell and why Medo-Persia came up. Why Medo-Persia fell and why Greece came up. Why Greece falls and why Rome comes up. Why the United States of America, as currently constituted, is going down. Just gave you the secret. What, what makes a nation great? So if you want to see a nation about to go down, what you will see is the nation attacking righteousness. All right, let's go back to our story. Look at our story. Seeing that Abraham shall surely be a great and mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord God to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he have spoken of him. Do you see it? So God is saying, look, I am going to be able to do for you and bless you above all that you can possibly think because I know you, Abraham. I know you're going to teach those 318 soldiers. I know you're going to teach your wife. I know that you've taught Lot. I know that you're going to command everyone out of your household the ways of God. So here's the question. Here's the question. In everything that we do, do you have Bible principle to back it up in your house? That's the secret. It's real simple. If I'm going to put this on TV, what Bible verse has, do I have to back me up for being able to watch this on my, in my house on my television? If I'm going to wear this clothing, what Bible verse do I have? What, what principle, what godly element do I have that will guide me in the way that I dress? If I'm going to put this on my table to consume it into my body, what godly principle am I following that allows for me to be able to put this on my table and put it into my body? If you are willing to follow God's principles that closely, God says, oh, look at that child. I know they can't do it by themselves. So you know what God's going to do for you? He says, I'm going to write it in your heart. Are you listening to me? Because I tell you what, you can't obey God. Have you tried before? I'm quite sure you've tried. You've tried and you failed. Is that right? You've tried and you failed. You've tried and you failed. It's gotten frustrating. Is that right? The reason why, and I'm going to give you the other secret to the secret that, of the secret I just gave you. <laughs> the reason why we fail. In fact, I won't just say it. I'll read it to you. Go to Romans, the eighth chapter. Romans 8. Romans 8, 
Beginning at verse number one, watch carefully what we're going to do here. The Bible says, and there is therefore no condemnation to them that which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after what? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin where? Now watch carefully. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled where? In us who walk not after the flesh, but after what? Okay, watch. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are of the spirit, the things of the spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, verse 6, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, watch verse 7, because the carnal mind, what kind of mind? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject unto the law of God. Now watch the last part. Neither indeed what? Now here's the problem. And listen to me. I tell you the truth. There are many in this room who are seeking to be Christians with a carnal mind. Did you hear that? The verse just says it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So while you're trying to live righteously with a carnal mind, it is the most galling yoke that you can put across your neck is to be a Christian without Christ. Did you hear me? It's the worst thing in the world. I'm supposed to eat this way. I'm supposed to eat this way. But oh, that ice cream with the milk and sugar all mixed together like alcohol is calling my name. And you have no power to resist. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So while you fight to, to resist, you are subject to the law of your carnal mind. You must do what it says. You are sold under sin. That's why when a pretty girl walks by, brothers, your neck goes like this. Huh? Because your mind is carnal, sold under sin. You can't obey God of yourself. There must be a supernatural effort that righteousness is written within your heart, that the righteousness of God's law is inside of you. Not merely external conformity to rules so that you can be cool with the conservative crowd. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? The pen of inspiration says very clearly that the superficial conservative, we don't even talk about liberals in the, in the spirit of prophecy, the superficial conservative is going to be swept out of the church. What is a superficial conservative? Well, I conform to everybody at GYC so I can fit in. That's a superficial conservative. It's not someone that really believes it. It's in their heart. It's in the essence of who they are. They're not in love with Jesus. It's simply because I like to be around good preaching and everybody's cool here. Nobody gets on my nerves, so forth and so on. God shares his secrets with his friend. Abraham, you're going to have a great and mighty nation. Why? Because you're going to command your household after me. They're going to follow my laws. And I'm going to be able to bless them. Now watch this now. Remember now Lot is, is in this wicked city. Go back to Genesis 18, please. Lot is in this wicked city. Genesis 18. Genesis 18. And beginning now at verse, actually Genesis 19, verse 1. Look at verse 1. Genesis 19, verse 1. Notice here what the Bible says. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go your way. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he made them a what? I never saw that before. Made them a feast? You mean that time to eat? It's not how we normally read the story. You know how you read the story? They come in, and all of a sudden they're at the door already. That's not what it says. It said they had the time to make a feast, and they bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. Interesting. Now, keep this in mind. Pen of inspiration brings out these angels, literally, if Lot had not stopped them, 
that would have kept walking by. And Lot would have been lost in that city. There's something about hospitality, friends. There's something about it. There's something about seeing a homeless man on the street and not ignoring him completely. Are you listening to me, Seventh-day Adventists? There's something about seeing that man on the street and no, you don't have to give him money. That's not necessary. You can take him to get some food, though. Is that right? You can try to help him out. You don't have to completely ignore him as if he has no existence and God doesn't care about him. I'm speaking to somebody. God left the poor on purpose. Jesus says the poor you will have with you always. You know why he says it? Because he's going to test whether or not you really love Jesus or not. I was poor and on the street and you gave me bread. Well, Lord, we never did that. Oh, yes. Whenever you did it to the least of these, my children, you've done it also to who? We look with our natural eye and we are often confused because we think we know better than what God knows. I remember giving Bible study, my first, I mean, my first real Bible study. And I, was, I had canvassed the guy and sold him some books, and he had signed up for Bible studies. I was so happy. And no one had trained me how to do Bible studies, so I got the book Gospel Workers, and I just started reading the book. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I'm reading through the book, and I'm learning. I said, okay, I'm going through, and I go through the first lesson with him. Now, this brother had long hair, long hair, tatted up. I mean, he was tatted all over. Tatted up. And I'm, you know, I'm an advent. I was born on the pew. You understand? So I don't have none of that stuff. And this brother's, I mean, he's, he's always smoking when I was going to his house. I, I, I really didn't know how to make it out. But I remember reading Gospel Workers, my fourth study. Read, remember reading Gospel Workers. And she says that at every study, there should be an appeal. So I said, okay, well, let's try this out. So I did the study as if I were experimenting. I got to the end. Long, and mind you, smoking, everything. I walked through the study on salvation, give your heart to Jesus, and I got to the end and said, Brother, I said, after everything we studied today, is it your desire to give your heart to Jesus? And the man sat there for 10 seconds. I lied to you not. 10 seconds. And at the end, he says, Brother Andre, he says, I want to accept Jesus. Amen. Now, I'll tell you, there's nothing like the feeling. I don't know if you've ever had it, but there's nothing that matches the feeling of knowing that someone has just come to Jesus and you are an instrument in the hand of God to assist them to come out of darkness in the marvelous light. There's nothing. I'm telling you. There's nothing like it. The best food in the world don't come close. Sex is not close to it. Huh? Not close. There's nothing like coming to someone and looking them in the eye and knowing Jesus has changed them from the inside out. This is the joy that permeated the heart of Jesus. This is what gets him moving every single solitary day. You know, we should pray to have that same joy. You understand? I remember another time I was doing Bible studies and every time we go to the door, the brother would put his hand. I literally never saw this guy for four weeks. He would put his hand out the door and give us the lesson. And then we would give him a new lesson, and then we would go. And we did that for four weeks straight, just like that. Finally, on the fifth week, we went to the door. He said, he, we came, and he's like, come in. I was like, whoa. Went in and sat down. Now, listen to this. I, I'm telling you, this is amazing. We're sitting there, and we're doing a lesson. And in the middle of the lesson, I'm doing a regular lesson now, amazing facts, just going through. And the brother stops me in the middle. He says, I want what you have. I said, what? What do you mean? He said, I want, I want what you have. And he's dead serious. And I understood that he was talking about spiritually. He wanted the peace that I had. And I told him, I said, sir, I can't give you what I have. But I said, I know where you can get it. I know where you can find it. You see, you can't be hospitable if you know that things in your house will not represent the character of Jesus. You know why we don't bring people home? Because every, if we brought them home and they saw what this did, oh, you're not a Christian. Huh? You don't bring them home, why? Because husband and wife are arguing, fighting with each other. We don't bring them home. We're afraid that they're going to kill us. I'm serious. 
This is the time we live in. We're so afraid. We're afraid that if we're nice to somebody, they're going to do us wrong. You know, I made up my mind. This week, I told you, this week is the hardest week I ever had. I made up my mind this week. I don't care what anybody does. If you slap me in the face, Sister Soldier, I tell you what, you can still come to my house. <laughs> made up my mind. Never in my life have I been betrayed like I was betrayed this week, but I had to make a choice. Either I stop ministry, stop helping folks, or I'm going all in. I can't do ministry halfway. I can't be, well, you know, I don't know you, and, you know, you're kind of weird. And <laughs> can't do it. I got to invite you in all the way. I got to let you eat at my table. I got to let you see how I, eat, how I teach my family. I got to let you see how to study the Bible. I have to let you see how I live. That's the only way that discipleship really takes place. It's the only way. Mental ascent. I tell you, to, listen, the, one of the greatest frustrations in my mind, we drive through the wicked city of Boston, millions of people in that wicked city. I drive through the wicked city of New York, 16, 13 million people in that city. How are we going to reach them all? What are we going to do? Send in satellites to beam in the gospel? Oh, I got it. We're going to get all the churches excited, and we're going to do New York 13, and everybody's going to hear the gospel, and we're all going to come to the knowledge of God. Is that how it's going to go? Friends, brothers and sisters, it's not by proclamation alone. It is by demonstration. And listen to me. The demonstration will come when all of the host of hell are pressed against the people of God. And there's only a few that will shine. Are you listening to me? Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. It's in that crisis, it's in that squeeze that the reality of whether or not what you said with your mouth will be seen in your life. Yeah. Can I ask you a personal question? It's hard to ask a personal question with all these people. Here's my personal question. Is Jesus really the king of your life? Amen. Please don't be quick to answer. Is he really the king of your life? Here's Lot in a city. He's about to get taken out by these angels. Lot goes to his family members. His family members, his sons-in-law, laugh him to scorn. Listen to me. They laugh him to scorn. They won't leave. His daughters won't leave. He goes back to the house. Remember, I asked you, is Jesus really the king of your life? He goes back to the house. He tells his wife, wife, they're not leaving. Well, I'm not leaving either. That's what she said. And they're tearing. They don't even go to sleep that night. The angels are sitting there. Just think about it. Angels are in the house. It's like, okay, guys. We really need to go. Fire is coming. And they're walking back and forth, deliberating between themselves whether or not they're going to go. Finally, the angels, not based on Lot and his family, but based on the intercession of Abraham, grabs Lot, his two girls and his wife, and drags them out of the city. Remember, I'm asking you, do you love Jesus more than anything else in this world? Because if you had asked Lot that, he would have said, yes, I love Uncle Abraham. I love, I love the things that he taught me. But when push comes to shove, do you love Jesus more than your family? I was reading Lot's, Lot's wife. Lot's wife said, I've invested too much money in this city. I have too much wealth in this city. I have education in this city. You're telling me to leave this city? Listen to me. So they dragged him out, and the pen of his merchant says that that third angel was none other than Jesus. Now listen, Jesus tells Lot and his children and his wife, escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Run to the mountain. That's what he tells them. And Lot, not really understanding who he's talking to, says, can we negotiate about this, please? There's a little city. 
Not a big one. Just a little city. Can we please go to the little city? Friends, I, I, again, I'm asking you, do you love Jesus more than anything? Anything. That if he said today, I want you to get up, I want you to pack your bags, I want you to leave, I want you to go and do missionary work in Timbuktu, would you do it? Well, Timbuktu, oh no, I don't know what's out there in Timbuktu. <laughs> Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Give it to, I've worked hard to get all this money. Huh? See, this is not a game. It's all or nothing with God. I wish it was a game. Then somebody else can play, because I wouldn't play this game. I, I, wish it, I, I, really, I, I really wish that everything I said to you was not true, that I would not have to preach to you. But everything I said is true. This world's about to be destroyed. There's a crisis coming on this land. Get your house in order. Get out of the cities. Get out of the city. Move to the country. That's plain. I showed you from the Bible. I can put it on the screen. I can put it here. I'll show it. I'll put it here so you can, you can look at me and look like I'm crazy. Look. Right here. I'm going to pass all this. Pass that. Pass that. That's beautiful, too. That's all awesome. It's great. Pass this. That. Watch this. Repeatedly. What's the word repeatedly mean? Repeatedly. The Lord has instructed us that we are to work the cities from what? Alpha centers. In these cities, we are to have houses of worship as memorials for God, but institutions for the publication of our literature, for the healing of the sick, for the training of the workers are to be established outside the cities. Especially is it important that our youth be shielded from temptations of what? City life. Get out of the city. It imperceptibly affects who you are. It makes you tolerant of sin. Your sensibilities, somebody says, oh, oh, someone just got shot yesterday. You're like, oh, another one? Isn't that how you feel? I tell you what, if you live in the country and you don't hear about that stuff for a while, your, your, your sensibilities start heightening up. You go into the city and all of a sudden you start feeling, I'm telling you, it's real. I, live, I moved to the country a year and a half ago. When I moved to that country, I was living in the, you know, living in the suburb. I moved to the country, oh, beautiful on the mountain. I'm telling you, it's nice. Plant my own garden, beautiful. Went back to New York City. It was like, oh no, I cannot believe how stressful it is to live here. It's stressful to drive. It affects us. We're running nine to fives all day, get home, can't even read a Bible, can't give a Bible study because we're so trapped by the way the world functions and operates. And I say again to you, get out of the city, run for your life, escape, take your children with you, run. You get married, don't live in the city, move to the country. I'm, I'm telling, I'm just telling you, you might not like me. After, I don't, you know, I do care, but not really. <laughs> I want you to be saved. You go back and study it. You go through each verse. You go through each pen of inspiration, each, each quote, and you analyze what God is calling you to do. Do not settle for what you see with your eyes. Follow inspiration. Follow the word. Follow the word. How many understood what we studied? You understood? Just raise your hand if you understood. How many didn't understand? How many are going to commit their heart totally to God and let God direct their step, even not only the selection of spouse. We did that this morning, right? But the selection of where we're going to live. You going to let God do that? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I have done what you instructed me to do.
Father, I ask that you write righteousness within each one of us. We don't have it. We are ungodly. Our hearts are corrupt and desperately wicked, Lord. We desire the things of this world, our natural propensity is for the things of this world. And we're sorry, Lord. We're sorry for acting like we love you in reality, not loving you. Please, Lord, have mercy on us. You see our condition, you see where we are. Some of us have no money to move anywhere. Some of us have all the money we need and we just stubborn in our place. Help us, Lord. Deliver us from our own bondage and our own mind. Teach us how to follow instructions and hearken diligently unto your commandments. Give us the strength, we pray, Father. Show us how to love what you love. We praise your name, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, and claim the merits of his blood. Amen.